It's been lovely to be on the door over at Christchurch Turnham Green, welcoming just streams of uh, families and children into church, uh, sometimes the children dragging parents in, and a fair few Christmas jumpers as well. And you, you may be thinking, uh, why the miserable reading, Richard? It's Christmas. Uh, let's get into Joseph and Mary and so forth. But I thought, having been in Ephesians the last few weeks, uh, this passage will uh, help us sort of kickstart Advent. And Advent is the one where we're looking forward to God's coming. Uh, but really, the message today is going to be incredibly simple, and it's going to involve Phil Quemby dressing up. Uh, so why don't you uh, welcome Phil Quemby to the stage. And, um, and uh, Brody, is there? do you have even the slightest visual disruption from where you are in terms of seeing Phil? Um, is that a yes? Yeah, that's great. Uh, so Phil, why don't you come on the stage so everyone can really see you? Um, uh, that's good. I, I, I know you didn't say yes, it's all right. Um, and, um, and what we want to try and explain is the, the gospel, really, uh, from, from this passage and from Ephesians. Now, Ephesians doesn't really start here, but really the beginning of the Bible is, if you just hold this in front of you, um, Phil, um, you can take photos at this point if you want to use them against him in, in the future. Um, the beginning of the scripture is that God made us and it was very good. But Ephesians, uh, in chapter 2 especially, uh, quickly points out that what was good has been utterly marred. And um, Phil, I'm going to ask you to put this on if you don't mind and, and just, uh, just sort of wear that. Um, many a person may have wanted to see him dressed up in such outfit. Um, and it says that actually what happens to us over time is a little like what's happened in, in this passage where it talks about the Gentiles uh, having darkness, separation, ignorance, having lost all sensitivity. They've given themselves over to sensuality and indulged in every kind of impurity and are full of greed. And, uh, and there we have Phil Quimby on stage representing every kind of sens sensuality, uh, impurity and greed, uh, so much so that he's become darkened in his very being. And you might say this seems to be a, an extreme description of humanity. Um, you know, um, some of us are quite nice, aren't we? And uh, isn't there still some of that, that white robe showing through? After all, we've been made in the image of God. Surely underneath it all is a fundamental goodness. But Ephesians says, well, actually, it's pointing to the Gentiles here. So it's not pointing to the Jews. The Jews would have lived by rules. And when you're living by the rules that God's given, there's a chance that you actually stay okay-ish, isn't there? If you give up on the rules, we call that anarchy, don't we? And when you give in to anarchy and just say, whatever I want to do, I'll do, eventually we end up in this sort of depravity. Now, you may have listened to the passage being read so well by Andrea, and you may have thought, wow, this guy's been watching Celebrity Big Brother and, uh, and various other reality TV shows. You know, it's just sort of this spin-off of in-the-jungle mentality of what goes on. Just whatever it will take to make me famous, I'll do. I will give myself in. Or if you remember reading Lord of the uh, Flies at school, as I had to do as a, as a GCSE textbook, and you imagine these nice guys who've lived by rules in their British public school, and a, a plane crashes on an island, and suddenly, without the restraints, before long, they're, they're practically trying to kill one another. And often morality, our morality, is a function of the laws that we have around us, as it was for the people who grew up Jewish, but if you chuck off all the laws and no one's watching, what would you get up to? It's interesting, isn't it? There's many a Hollywood film that posits the idea of what would I do if no one ever found out what was going on? 
if no one saw me with that person in the pub, would I get away with what I want to do afterwards? If the tax returns were never investigated by the Inland Revenue, how much would I give if I wasn't under law? And so law protects us in terms of morals, but underneath the corruption, Scripture says, is, is absolute. And we end up like this. It's not the end of the story, thank goodness. Uh, we have Jesus enter the scene. And um, I think, looking around, um, I think Johnny Limpus would play a good Jesus today. Um, uh, let's, let's have Johnny on the stage, um, the ginger Jesus. And, um, and here comes uh, the ginger Jesus dressed in white. Um, and there's a little hoop there for, for Johnny. Yeah, popular Jesus, popular choice. Um, he even got the crimson ready for the, the blood to flow from his side. So, so in, into the scene comes Jesus. And Jesus has the, the extraordinary grace of never having been corrupted by evil at all. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's why the virgin birth is so important in Christian theology, that he wasn't the byproduct of a Roman soldier's rape or some other thing. He was the uncorrupted seed of God down through the years to a, to a virgin and lived a perfect and righteous life. And unfortunately, at this point, even those who have lived under the law couldn't cope with the radiant glory of Jesus. Of course, some were attracted to him. Should we have Cooley being a sort of groupie, a Jesus groupie? Um, some were attracted to him and loved him, particularly those who realized their sense of need. Um, but others, um, let's have uh, there's a trio here, Richard and Tony and Ollie. Um, let's, let's have a sort of, um, would you do a decent, smug, self-centered, pharisaical, uh, religious types for us? <laughs> come on up, Mr. Monk. Yeah, come on, let's, let's, let's have some, um, some religious-y sort of, um, oh dear, here's Jesus. Um, and, you know, they were more worried about their religious instruments than they were about, um, <laughs> about the gospel. Uh, so Levi better be a smug, self-centered, uh, pharisaical, religious person as well, protecting his guitar at all costs. Um, there goes another one. And, and actually, although the likes of Cooley were attracted to Jesus and wanted what he had, uh, the likes of the rest of us uh, hung him on a cross to die. Uh, would you like to enact a crucifixion. Ollie, why don't you go and be uh, the centurion on the stage? I think, I think you probably need to get up there and uh, hang him out to dry, as it were. And, and so the righteous man hangs to die. Now, this, of course, is the wonderful bit because he doesn't stay dead. Uh, as you know, he spends three days in the tomb and rises again. And when he rises again, he gives all of us, and this is the, this is the amazing thing, and if you They've never let this penetrate your heart. Let it penetrate your heart today. It gives all of us the opportunity to be dressed in the glorious robes that he's now dressed in. And if we just repent and fall at his feet. So um, Phil is now going to repent and fall at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is going to take off his robe and uh, dress Phil in a new robe of righteousness. And our pharisaical religious types are now going to be cross at this new uh, <laughs> rape of righteousness person. But ultimately, they're not going to make it into the story unless they also repent. So they can, they can go back to their chairs now uh, because they they're, they're need to repent. 
And Cooley has also joined the party and is in a robe of righteousness. Now, here we have, and this is the key point, the standard position of a Christian who has received Jesus in their heart is that they are dressed in a robe of righteousness. And the old self is gone. The new self has come. They are utterly and completely transformed by Jesus. Amen? Let's be slightly Pentecostal. Amen? It's amazing, isn't it? And it is glorious. But it is not oftentimes, if you've hung around a few fellow believers or you've hung around your own internal mind, it's not oftentimes how we think about ourselves, is it? Who thinks we should make Phil change again? Ollie, Ollie, let's change him. Oftentimes, we feel like we're still in that black robe. Um, and um, you're going to have to take the white robe off for the illustration to work, I'm afraid. So um, I'm sorry. Um, it's, it's hard work on the stage today. Now, oftentimes, we forget that Jesus has given us this white robe. And um, try and forget that Jesus is handling, handing him the black robe at the moment, because that slightly ruins the effect as well. Um, and we, we think that we still have a fundamental identity that is dark and black and terrible. And our internal minds will often tell us the same thing, won't it? If they only knew this about you, if God really knew who you were, if he saw the unwholesome talk coming out of your mouth, if the vicar knew about this, that, and the other, if the person in your small group knew about this, if only you knew how cross I was last night or how I keep getting it wrong, I keep going back to the muck as I'm like a dog returning to its vomit all the time, if only you knew, you would know that fundamentally I am dark and black in terms of the sin covering my life. And that's how a lot of us have been trained in our minds to think. But we've been trained by that, not by the Lord Jesus, who this passage says we've learnt, but by Satan, the devil. And so what we do is we take our little robe of righteousness and we try and just sort of drape it over our shoulders just a little bit on a Sunday or at a small group or at the hungry prayer night on Tuesdays. And we come in and we're like, oh, I feel a bit better. But it basically, it goes wrong. Now, that's not the picture of the Christian in the scripture. Uh, if he could change again into the white robe. We are not black-robed, dirty dogs. We are new creations in Jesus Christ who have learnt Jesus Christ. It's a phrase that's not used anywhere else in the Bible, and it's not used in any other literature to learn Jesus Christ. But you can get the sense that there's an intentionality about it. Knowing Jesus isn't just a fuzzy feeling you get on the Alpha course or in a worship time. Knowing Jesus isn't just something you receive as a download. It's something you learn. You sort of deliberately act out like Jesus and you get more like him. Your brain gets renewed as it's transformed, as Paul says in Romans. You learn Jesus and you become like Jesus. But... The reality of our lives is, I guess of your life as well as mine, is even when you've got this sense that I've learned Christ and I know I'm a new creation. I know that Richard is okay in Jesus. I know that I'm saved. I am being saved and I will be saved. I know that I'm his. There are still things that you gather around you like trinkets that you put on. This is my graduation robe, a great illustration. <laughs> things that you work hard for, sometimes really good things. Your prosperity, your pension, your hope, the things you put your trust in. And when you drape these round your ropes of righteousness, 
they obscure and mar a lot of the vision of what Jesus made you to be. In a way, you unlearn Christ because you're like, I'm going to put my trust in this, this security, this person's opinion of me, this person who likes me at Christmas time, this finances that I need to have, this academic achievement that I want, this pension pot that I want to maintain. And you put your security on that and it mars who you are in Jesus. And sometimes it mars so tight around you, it covers over your heart. And you're, you're sort of stuck in there. And you can't recognize the person that he died to make you. And so that's what Paul's saying in this passage. He's saying, you've got to take this stuff off. Now, if you were with us the last couple of weeks, you'd have heard us talking about the church. And you wonder, why does this come after this passage all about the church? You remember we have got apostles and prophets and pastors and evangelists and teachers? All of these people working together, it says, will grow us up into Jesus. When the pastors are speaking into your life and saying, I've missed you. When the teachers are saying, did you realize it says you can't go that way? Fundamentally, you are good because of Jesus. When that truth is getting into you. When the apostles are saying, come on, there's further to go. Let's press on. When the evangelists are saying, do you know Jesus died for you? And when the prophets are saying, come on, let's live right. You see, when Phil now comes down into the community and walks among you, among the pastors, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, when he gets right into the midst of you, right here, let's find someone nice and pastoral, um, Nigel, he's a great leader, if you've ever been led by Nigel, it's a wonderful experience, he led me on a hundred mile walk without even realizing he was in charge of it, um, and the, um, just gradually un unrobe him from that horror, Nigel, because when you're in the community, what happens is that there are other people wearing the robes rightly. And it gradually takes off the rubbish from us. You see, if Phil got isolated and went over there, he'd gradually accumulate more and more of the rubbish on his way. But here in the midst of all of you, you can take off the rubbish. Because this is a place of honesty, of friendship, of care, of truth, of commission, of anointing, of opportunity, of possibility, of hope, of character, of perseverance, of love. And here, among all of you, known and being known and knowing, transformation comes about. And the more that you're prepared to let yourself know each other and receive ministry from each other and transformation, the more unlikely you are to cover up what Jesus has won for you, which is this glorious robe, with all the trashy stuff, which before you used to depend on, the patterns you used to have. So we give Phil a little uh, round of applause in his roads, right? And Jesus, thank you for being with us today. <laughs> I'm not gonna speak much longer, but what, what an incredibly important revelation to have. Can I just ask you, hand on heart, when you think about yourself, if you're a believer in Jesus, when you think about yourself as a Christian, what image comes to mind? Is it the robe of righteousness or is it how crap I am? It wouldn't be a normal group of Christians if it wasn't the second one for quite a lot of us. 
Because it's, it's a learning, a renewing of the mind to go, actually, it is the robe of righteousness. Because it flies against some of your experience and the inner voices that keep hammering away at you. I'm rubbish, I'm rubbish, I'm rubbish, I'm rubbish, I'm rubbish, I'm rubbish, I'm rubbish. It flies against everything that the devil, the world, and the flesh, that's the bit of us that just desires to go our own way, keeps hammering on your brain. It flies against it. And then truth gets deposited on you like a boom, like that. And sometimes in a moment you go, yes, I believe that I am a new creation. That I am not in condemnation anymore. That I stand here because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ only. Not because of my goodness, but because of his goodness. And friends, when you know that deeply, you know that all the rubbish that keeps coming into your life, and it will for all of us, is an imposter. It's not your fundamental DNA anymore. Your fundamental DNA is Jesus, because if you've had an experience of the cross, you've had a blood transfusion with Jesus. And his blood now flows through your veins. You've had a heart transplant with Jesus' heart and a blood transfusion. And the fundamentals of who you are now are Jesus. Is that not incredible? And the reality of what you're supposed to do now is not let anything else intrude on that. And the only way you're ever going to do that is as part of God's community of faith, where the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers can all speak into your life. So if you just surround yourself with the, the nice woolly pastors, they might go, oh, it's all right. It doesn't matter. God loves you anyway when you're in a mess. And you might sort of need a bit of that. But you also need the person who goes, look, it says in God's words, you shouldn't be doing this. You know, the kick up the backside person. And then you probably need to go back to the pastor person. Or you need the experience of knowing that actually there's going to be someone who can almost read my thoughts. The prophetic person who knows when to send me a card or a text or a whatever. And when I get that card or text or whatever, it draws me back in. And you realize as well that they probably need you to be doing the same thing. You know, for all the four or 500 people we have in this church family, I can't become the person I'm supposed to be unless each and every one of them is liberated to become the person that they're supposed to be. I depend on the church family. You depend on your church family, your small group, the congregations. To the degree that we are play, praying, playing, and, and thriving with God is the degree we all will. We are interdependent. We're one in Jesus. It's not just about you. It is about you. You're important. But it's about everyone else. And you might get away from here saying, but I'm used to thinking of myself negatively. <laughs> I get that. I spent 10 years of my life believing I was going to die when I was 23. <laughs> I got a voice in my head that said, you're not going to live past the millennium. I'd actually miscounted the millennium, so it would have been earlier than that, but there you go. Uh, but it was so strong in my head that I can understand why people do horrific things to themselves and hurt themselves on a daily basis by the choices they make because they don't believe they're good enough. A pastor sat me down when I was 20, and he said, Richard, can you put your hand on your heart and say that voice is from God? And as soon as he asked that question, 
the power of it had gone. I shared the problem, and he asked a question, and the power was gone. In my experience in, in church, in, in my life and others' lives, there are people who feel they can't escape from, say, pornography or drinking or sexual activity outside marriage. And they'd like to, but they feel it's who they are. And the question is, can you put your hands on your heart and say that's what God says of you? <laughs> that you'll always be an adulterer, that you'll always be a drinker, that you'll always be promiscuous. And newsflash, that's not the sort of thing God says about anyone. He says things like, you are Simon and I will call you Peter. You are Abraham, I will call you Abraham. You are Sarah, I'll call you Sarah. Because he gives hope and potential and possibility to people. In Cool Runnings, that amazing film, a guy looks in the mirror and his friend says, who do you see, Junior, when you look in the mirror? And he goes, I see Junior. Who do you see, Junior? I see Junior. And he, he says some swear words, um, but it encourages the guy to, to move on. He says, I see passion, I see power, I see a badass, someone or other, who won't take no something off anyone. And it is interesting, it was that sort of self-help talking. A Christian doesn't depend on self-help talking yourself into a new life. A Christian depends on truth. And the truth is, you've had a heart transplant with, with Jesus. You've had a blood transfusion. It's not that you have to try and be the better version of yourself. You fundamentally are an incredible version of yourself. The one you were made to be before time began. That is who you are. Friends, I would love you to go from here today with your hands on your heart saying, I am his and he is mine. I am in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is in me. And if you get that and if you believe it, every time the rubbish comes on you, even at Christmas lunch with that relative that you're finding really difficult, if you're lucky enough to have relatives to have Christmas lunch with, then you can just let it off. That's not me. That anger isn't me. I don't have to let it linger. I'm going to be who I actually am in Jesus and Jesus in me. So we stand together. It's Advent. It's where we prepare for the coming of Jesus Christ. And if he came as we left the building today, all of the Christmas preparations would have been for nothing. <laughs> but would it be a jubilant event for you as you walk out the door and you see him coming on the clouds? You go, yes! That's what I've been longing for. That's what he wants to give us now. And as um, Levi just begins to play, I'm just going to invite us to consciously come into the presence of the Lord who's here already. And thank you, Lord, for being here. Thank you for your presence in this room. Thank you for the truth of the scriptures of your word that if we're in Jesus, we can be completely whole. Thank you that we're all on a journey. I pray for anyone who's not sure that they've begun that journey yet. You can't hand on heart say, I, I've actually asked Jesus into my life. Pray for anyone who's like that today, that they will explore who Jesus is this Christmas time and soon come to a, a knowledge of him, of a learning of Jesus and the freedom that comes from him. If you'd like to begin that journey today, just ask someone. I'm sure they'll pray with you and introduce you to their best friend.
Lord, would you please bless us with revelation as we worship now. Move among us and just seal anything from this message that each person needs to know today. In Jesus' wonderful name.